Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Freedom of Species, an animal advocacy radio show, and we're dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals, um, including activism, protection, conservation, and importantly, appreciation. We broadcast from 3CR Studios in Melbourne, Australia, and live streaming and recent podcasts are available via the 3CR website. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we've got a really special show today, a lady I've been wanting to speak to for a while, Ren Hurst, who is someone who's done a lot of harm uh, to animals in the past and has had a tumultuous road to really changing the way she relates to her horses. She really had to pull the rug from under her feet and change what she was doing in her life. There is a very profound context to her work about in a world where we seriously need to question how we are relating to each other as well as the animal world. The fact that this has taken a few weeks to build up means that it hasn't made for dramatic pictures on our TV screen each night. And I think that affects how much people pay attention to it. 3CR, in-depth interviews that give a voice to the issues that are often unheard. Welcome to the program, Ren. Thanks for making time for us today. Thank you, Emma. Exploitation of horses can be really hard to see for most of us, even avid horse-loving horse riders. How did this come into focus for you? You know, it is a really difficult thing to see and understand. And I think the main reason for that is that no one that I know of or myself goes out with the intention to exploit those that we care about. But the very nature of having a being in our care for our own personal use is exploitative. So until we understand that, that that is just the nature of domestication and and why domestication comes about, it's very hard to come to terms with it because there's a lot of guilt and shame around understanding that maybe we're not serving those that we love in a way that is loving and kind. And honestly, it's just when we create a being to bring into our lives for our own use, that is exploitation. And to not be able to come to terms with that is is a little bit close to insanity. But that is the the reality that we live in. Let's talk about what the current paradigm is out there when we talk about a relationship with horses. Can you unpack that a bit and how we mistake training as relationship so can you talk about that yeah for sure I mean there's there's lots of layers there's lots of different methods and ways of relating to and training animals in general but horses especially so you can be on so many different like areas of this this grand scale of, of how you deem appropriate relationship to be and a lot of it has to do with your own social and family conditioning and history so the current paradigm I I like to believe is moving towards at least the desire for a more equal loving relationship, but the very nature of domestication gets in the way of that. Um, So what we've done to, to try to make up for that is create 
loving sounding terminology and methodology. And so we wrap these different training methods with words like respect and cooperation and love and friendship and partnership. But if you were actually doing what we do with animals with another human being, we would recognize very quickly that they are anything but. Okay. Can you clarify that a bit um, more? And when you're talking about those words, do you include natural horsemanship in that? Yes, I absolutely do. So natural horsemanship, um, very quickly, is just kind of based on the idea of watching natural herd dynamics play out and then trying to mimic that behavior in order to form relationships. So say you're watching natural horses interact, and the one thing you have to understand about that is that wild animals are in survival mode. So there's a little bit of a difference in behavior in a being that is surviving versus a being who has its basic needs met and has the opportunity to live in harmony and balance with, with its surroundings. So natural horsemanship looks like, well, we've got dominance hierarchy and we've got animals moving each other's feet and we're calling that relationship, but it's really dominance. So we, we mimic those behaviors with our horses and we, in, in, in exchange, we get cooperation and, and functionality with this so-called partnership. But it's all based on dominance. It's all based on manipulation. It's all based on control. And at the end of the day, the human is the one that's making the decisions and getting the benefit of the relationship. And the horse is, at the end of the day, just a servant, even if they're treated very well and very well cared for and, and very admired even. It sounds like, um, you know, contradictory, but it's not. You mentioned in another interview that when we release this need to control, we're mm -hmm. actually not leaving ourselves up to the mercy of conditions around us. Right. I take, when you refer to the need to control, you're talking about domestication. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, is, can you just explain this new relationship about yes. which, which is actually, it doesn't mean any need to control. And it actually yeah. is probably a more secure relationship. Exactly. And it does sound contradictory because we, we, you, the, I think the hardest part about this work is having the faith to believe that something else is possible, not only possible, but practical and plausible because the very idea that someone in our care, like a dog or a horse is willing to cooperate with us because they love us, not because we have to teach them to is a pretty foreign concept to people. Most people don't even have that in their human relationships. So when you release the need to control, and when I say control, there always has to be this other side of it that people have to understand that beings that depend on us, we, we still have to control their basic needs to a degree. I mean, when I say we release control, we're releasing all unnecessary control. So I still have a responsibility at the end of the day to make sure that my horse is well cared for, is is medically sound, and, and their basic needs are met. And if that looks like I have to control it to get their basic needs met, that's appropriate. Where I remove all forms of control is in my relating to them outside of their absolute necessary well-being. So when you show up to spend time with a horse with zero expectation, zero agenda, no need to control anything... All that's left is you being completely accountable for your needs, who you are, what you're putting out, what you're accepting. You don't make the other being wrong. You show up as a complete equal in terms of equally deserving of love and respect. And you just treat them the way you want to be treated. And suddenly you've got a real partnership, a real friendship, a real opportunity to connect at a profoundly deep level that can only be felt when you're using control, when you're in it. The, the most incredible thing that has resulted in this work for me is that I'm now connecting to other beings so deeply that when I'm not with them, I still feel it at a profound level, which means I don't have to reach for it to feel better, which means I don't have to use anyone or, and I don't need anyone, whether that's a horse or another human. And even when I'm away from them, I, there's no longer the sense of longing or missing something. There's just this connection that is remembered 
through the, the regular practice of this level of relationship. A lot of people refer, they take sanctuary in a um, perfect, unconditional relationship that they have with the companion animal. And I'll stick to horses in this case. And, you know, you even hear people joke about, oh, I, you know, I care more for my, uh, your horse than their, their, my partner or, other, or human beings, you know. And so the stuff of the relationship is of a part of a very different landscape in the heart. So you're, you've already brought us along the lines. What, the sinister part of it, like the darker side of that, it, it says a lot about our species and it should actually ring alarm bells if we think that is a perfect, unconditional love. Because if you yeah. put that in the context of a human-to-human relationship, it's a bit scary. Can you comment on that? Unfortunately, I think you're completely correct. Is we we have no idea what unconditional love really means or looks like. I, I as far as I can tell, what really is happening in love relationships and the current paradigm on this planet is it's codependency masquerading as love. We are looking to meet our emotional needs outside of ourselves. When the truth is, is that no one is responsible for meeting your emotional needs, but you. Um, and unfortunately, we are responsible for meeting the physical needs of the beings in our care and the emotional needs for the beings that depend on us, which means our animals. But it's us that it should be serving them, not the other way around. And what we're doing is really just playing out these old woundings of our own childhood where our emotional needs weren't met in a truly unconditional fashion. Because let's just face it, humanity hasn't been there. We haven't evolved to a level of unconditional love. Uh, almost all love relationships in our like realm right now are, are based on exploitation and codependency and how can I get what I need from you or somebody else. You are listening to 3CR Freedom of Species and we're going to take a short break and listen to a song called A Horse With No Name by America. I was looking at all the life There were plants and birds and rocks and things There was sand and hills and rain The first thing I met was a fly with a buzz And the sky with no clouds That was a tune called A Horse With No Name by America. You are on Freedom of Species animal advocacy on the airwaves. We are talking with Wren Hurst, creator of New World Sanctuary. Someone told me the other day, Wren, they know of a lady and two kids who have stopped riding their horses um, because they've on, they're on the same trajectory as you and they're too scared to tell um, the breadwinner, the dad of the house, because they think he'll get rid of them because it's like if you're not riding the horse, you know, it, 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 they're expensive to maintain. So can you take us take us through your reasons, including the evidence you have uh, mentioned on your website, uh, about what, why we shouldn't be riding horses? Well, I, I don't like to say we shouldn't be because I understand why people do, but I do like to speak to why it's harmful. Um, on a physical level, they're, they're simply not biologically designed to carry the, the weight of a human without, without damage. Now, the level of damage is arguable, and yet physical harm happens to all of us to varying degrees, pretty much no matter what we're doing. So there's, there's that piece that's arguable, but I think the issue is when did we decide it's okay to use another being's body, that, especially a being that depends on us for their basic needs? I don't believe that consent is actually possible between a guardian dependent relationship because a being that depends on you for their for their basic survival isn't really in a position to say hey yeah you can climb on top of me and and ride me around because we have some equal thing going on the the insidious nature of that relationship and the exploitative environment that that relationship comes from is what i think is the most harmful situation about riding because if, if you make it okay 
to use another being in that way, that there's no way that can't filter in the rest of our, our world in the way that we operate and not necessarily directly, but there's a lot of exploitation going on on this planet and a lot of finger pointing, but people that are in exploitative dynamics with their pets don't necessarily understand how they're related to all of that. And I think that if our daily practice is of dominance and, and exploitation of another, that there's no way that that can't be reflected in our outer world. And so it's, it's all connected. It, it all ties together. And we've all got to start taking responsibility for that. Can you go into, um, basically, you referred to the anatomy of the spine of the horse. Can you just comment on that more? Well, I mean, without going into great detail, because the science can all be found if somebody's truly interested in understanding it. And I'm, I'm honestly not super interested in defending a right or wrong approach to riding. But the damage that occurs, you've got an elongated spine that's got a vertical imposed weight being pressed down on it. So the spine can handle that if the musculature around it is supportive enough and, and built up enough, but the muscles can't. So imagine when you're sitting in a position for a long time, maybe, maybe you're sitting in a chair and you've crossed your legs. Within five or ten minutes, it gets a little uncomfortable and you, we change positions because our blood flow is reduced. And so you start having a numbness in, in whatever part of your body is receiving the most impact. Well, that's what a horse experiences within about 10 minutes of a rider being on their back, except they can't shift. They can't move around. So that feeling, that sensation, that shutting down becomes uncomfortable. And because they experience that repetitively, every single time they're ridden, they learn to just shut down and accept it and go with the flow because that's what they have to do. And it, what it does is it creates a learned helplessness condition in, in a being that can't truly give you their, their fullest feelings. And so if we're doing this repetitively on a daily basis with our animals and we're, we're conditioning them, we're putting a halter on them every day, we're controlling them in, in micromanagement ways every day, we're, we're creating a numbing sensation every single time we get on their backs, they become a shell version of who they really are. And that severely limits the level of conversation and connection you can actually have with that being. And you, um, so basically if you are on the back of a horse riding, I think you mentioned that you can, you cannot um, pick up on a lot of the times a horse is saying no, because literally you can't, you, you don't have the front focus. You can't see the different moves and twitches that are actually the horse saying no. Is that yes. right? Yeah. yeah, and it ties to what I was just explaining. So you've got this animal in a, in a state of learned helplessness that's a deeply conditioned state so that their nose become extremely subtle, extremely subtle, because they don't even feel like they have a voice to express themselves anymore because just in our, the way we deal with them every day. And none of this is meant to sound like people are doing this on purpose. This is totally total ignorance of just the results of domestication and how we use horses. When I spoke, I taught in New Zealand in February and I had the opportunity to demonstrate this. And I was in a round pen with a horse, which I spoke to just having the horse in the round pen is it doesn't really go with what I do, but it gave me a great opportunity to show what this is. And as I approached the horse with the intention of simply making contact as soon as I detected his first no, I stopped and I turned to the crowd and I asked them if they saw it. And not a single person recognized his first no. The closest somebody got was like the third or fourth no. And so people got to see what that first no looked like. And that first no can sometimes be as subtle as just not acknowledging my intention. So when you don't get a yes, it doesn't mean that you have a yes. If you get an ignoring, that can be a no. It depends on how shut down the animal is. Um, sometimes people think a no is something as volatile as bucking or biting. Well, by the time you get to bucking or biting, you've probably already passed at least 20 no's. And if you're on a horse, usually the first indication of a no is, is so subtle that there's no way to detect it from their back. And Ren, let's go into now. You um, you were in the very 
you you have caused a lot of harm to animals in the past you've said and you were very oh, much yeah. you were very much a part of the six figure sum paid heady world of um of training and breeding and all that can you go into you know where, where you come from because you've got a, a vast experience here before For you sure. before you pulled the rug from under your feet and changed how you were were relating to your horses can you go into what your part of that world was totally i mean like most young teenage girls what drew me to horses was an escape from my reality that didn't suit me so horses were my lifeline i i went to those horses for my sense of power control safety friendship escape freedom you name it and it became and just like anyone it, it became that i wouldn't have known who i was without horses so i i deeply understand why the concepts I speak to today are so threatening to those who have horses in their life as a coping mechanism for survival. So I would never want people to, to stop doing what they're doing in order to thrive. I, I'm simply here to present some ideas and a practice that can move people beyond the need for that to, to finding true joy and connection in their lives. So for me, I started out as just a kid, wanted a horse, got into training, uh, started seeking whatever was out there, learning. I worked as a wrangler on a guest ranch for a few years. I started buying and selling horses. I was really good at it. I made tons of money. Uh, for me, it wasn't. I wasn't interested in a deeper connection. I just. I really liked to get my hands and ride on as many horses as I could come into contact with. And fortunately, I had a really unique situation that allowed me to do that. So a lot of my experience came from being able to spend my weekends at sale barns and buy four or five horses at a time, take them home, train them, sell them, and then go do it again the next weekend. And so I had hundreds and hundreds of horses under my training belt. And that's where a vast majority of my experience comes from. But I also wanted to be a successful business owner. And so I would study and research and see what the newest, latest techniques are, what, what's the method that people are, are like succeeding with, what's, what's working. And I had another unique opportunity to be able to travel pretty freely. So I would get on a plane and go learn from whoever I thought was most interesting or doing the best job. And so I kind of went through the whole spectrum from starting with, you know, your, your typical cowboy way, going through the natural horsemanship movement, then moving into the more esoteric forms of horsemanship and, and the dancing with horses. And eventually it led me to Alexander Nefsarov. Um, and that combined with all the other things that I had been seeking and researching in my life led to a really profound experience with a horse that was just undeniable and everything changed after that. So it was a long, tumultuous road, is that right? It wasn't like an yeah. overnight thing, but it, you say that there was a lot of denial maybe over many years that you had to kind of push through. And what was there a, mo a particular moment, though? Can you tell us about a particular moment where you just went, that's it, pulling the rug from under my feet and I'm doing it differently? And I'm, you know, it, was there a, a specific moment that you recall? Yeah, the moment that my career um I was working with a stallion that I had rescued and I was just trying this thing because I really really wanted to make a name for myself I had the skill to to be a, a one a well-known liberty trainer if I had pursued it um and I wanted to basically do in America as a female, what Alexander had done in Russia with his horses. And I wanted to prove that it could be done because his style of training was not really well known here. And I, you know, it, it would have really done well for me. So I rescued this stallion and started applying this method that I did not fully understand. I had not joined Alexander's school or any of that. I just had enough experience that I, I got the gist of it and, and, and you wanted, promised myself you, that. Yeah, you, want, you wanted to show off. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and and I and I knew enough that like I knew I wasn't going to get hurt. I knew I understood what they were doing, but I had no idea how it was possible. And so I went and got a, a stallion that had pretty much been untouched because I, if I was going to do it with my ego, I might as well do it big, right? So <laughs> all I knew was that I could not make this horse wrong for anything. If I ever judged his behavior, my only option was to walk away. 
I was not allowed to use any form of control whatsoever. And I had to understand the science thoroughly, which I already did because I was a holistic horse care specialist. And within about 10 days of applying that in my interactions with him to the, the best of my ability and understanding, what was happening between he and I and what he was able to understand and the cooperation he gave me and the subtle changes just based on whether or not I was in judgment or in cooperation with him was so earth shattering that there was no way I, I could go back to whatever I used to do because I had been shown that these animals are far more intelligent than we give them credit for, for one. But number two, they will do things for us just because we show up and are deserving of that kind of cooperation. Um, and the feeling that I got from earning that level of relationship with him with no means of control, I would never be able to use control or manipulation again. And, and, and it wouldn't, it would have never come close to that. And so it pretty much ruined my life. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I, I, I know it's hard to articulate that area for people that, you know, have never met a horse, but would you say it, it in the ingredients of that new approach it's an awareness is is it just sitting in a pure awareness of what that horse is trying to tell you there is that that that's a huge part of it and understanding how much they actually have to say and i'm not talking i'm not speaking to animal communication i'm i'm talking about a language beyond words or thoughts a very subtle energetic language that is is profound there's such a conversation available when freedom is what exists between two beings. And we just don't have much of a concept of what that even looks like. You can read about it in, in spiritual texts and in philosophy, but we don't have a lot of examples of practical application of what it is to be in right relationship to one another. So what this led to is a way of practicing true unconditional love in action and, and experiencing it so that there's this memory of it so that when you turn to your human relationships you have actually something to draw from more than more than something you read in in maybe your religious text and something we all aspire to now there's this actual tangible feeling of what it looks like and how it feels really there's such a deep context for your work on that level and i know we spoke about exploitation earlier but there's such a deep reflection of that that landscape and how what's happening in the world at the moment how we we're so used to and we we almost celebrate the success of being able to manipulate and exploit uh other people as well to get you know profit and and etc so there's a very deep context to your work can you give us a story of how that a relationship with one of your horses altered that sticks to your mind yeah for sure um Shay, which who was my stallion, he was the 13th horse that I had at that time. And so when this was all revealed to me, I didn't feel like there was any way that I could honor that level of relationship for 13 animals, much less I have actually several more animals than that. Um, so my only solution was to, to take them into sanctuary and let them live as freely as possible. So... I didn't really get a chance to explore the depth of where this can actually go because I, I would have I, I would have felt bad to give that to one or two of them and not the rest of them. Um, so it was subtle changes. But for instance, um, my I, I do have a favorite horse in my herd, as terrible as that sounds. <laughs> but I have this little buckskin pony named Coco Bueno. And he, before this work, he really just didn't have any interest in people. Um, he just, you know, he just wasn't interested at all. He didn't necessarily stand that great to be trimmed. He was just kind of shut down, just not really into humans at all. And when we started approaching the herd differently, he turned into this incredible being that he's usually the first one to approach. And I, I, we didn't do anything special. We didn't like fix him or heal him. We just started relating to them differently. And 
now he he'll be the one of the first horses to come up and he he he's really funny like he's got this huge personality that I would have never known to be true about him and whenever I'm out there he always wants to be with me and I mean all of this stuff can be seen with any relationship that you have with a horse even if you're controlling them but when you have no control in place and this stuff still happens that's the magic so this horse now all I have to do is look at him and invite him the same way I would invite anyone if he wants to go for a walk. I might say, hey, do you want to join me? And he, he comes right up to my side and will stay by my side anywhere I want to go. I can just walk up to him with my trimming tools anywhere he is out in the middle of 80 acres and he will happily comply and give me his feet. He He licks my head, which is really strange, but <laughs> it's really affectionate. And it's like, where did that come from? Why are you doing that all of a sudden? And it's just these little subtle moments of connection that are so deep and so intimate and so sweet. And there's nothing in exchange for it. We we do not use any form of reward, punishment, reinforcement. There's no treats. There's no training. There's no tools. When we're out spending time with the animals, we genuinely just honor them. And it, that can turn into so many things. But um it's just incredible how safe they feel, how how at peace they feel, how balanced they feel. The things that typical horse people have to concern themselves over just don't happen with horses that are treated this way. They don't get injured. They don't get sick. They don't spook. They don't act like typical horses. Now, you're um, referring to the horses that you have on the New World Sanctuary. Can you tell us about the New World Sanctuary and also, if people out there are interested in finding out more, are you doing workshops? Or what's your mode of operation with your um, movement, basically, at the moment? I'm I'm kind of a one-woman show for the most part. I do have some support here and there, but this is a, a huge content, or concept with, uh, with a deep context, like you mentioned. And so the reality is that I was a successful professional horsewoman who decided to radically walk away from all forms of that and somehow find a way to take care of all these animals. So what that looked like is me walking away from absolutely everything I knew, giving up my paycheck, giving up my career, taking the little bit of money I had in savings, moving my horses across the country and living off grid with them to try to figure out what to do with this. And that was three years ago now. So in that three years, um, I've developed this into a teachable format, this work that this relating to horses this way is, and I created the New World Sanctuary Foundation. And it's very much in the developing stages because I'm not a very good administrator and I've got these grand visions and ideas, but I actually am going to need a team at some point to move this forward. But the idea of the New World Sanctuary Foundation is to support land-based efforts that want to create a positive impact on the planet and move away from all forms of exploitation in that we can support others, whether it's allowing people to sponsor animals that are being um, allowed to live in sanctuary at this level of relationship or, or the human beings like myself who have the skills and the capability to facilitate and teach and train others, but need some support in that transition period of moving out of what was known into this non-exploitative way of relating so that you're not using the horses in any way because there's not really a model for this yet. Even equine facilitated therapy still involves a lot of exploitation and conditioning and control of the horses. So I've created the foundation to allow people to, to at least take some of the burden off of the financial responsibility of, of taking care of these animals that are no longer going to be used or exploited until facilitators like myself can get on their feet again. Because unfortunately, what I've seen is not a lot of people are willing to do what I did, which is take all the animals that were in their business and do whatever it takes to take care of them while they figure things out. Um, I want to make it easier for people to make these changes, especially if they are skilled and gifted in areas that could be of service to humanity rather than whatever we're doing that is clearly not working. Yeah. The yeah. other thing that this foundation does is support horses that are in sanctuary, that are being kept in sanctuary at this level of relationship, um, which is also pretty uncommon. Even 
even a lot of the sanctuaries and rescues out there are in a way glorified petting zoos um, that are still perpetuating this um, use of animals. So that's what the foundation is for. Um, it's probably going to take a little bit more time to get that up and going, but we do have a website that badly needs to be updated. And in terms of workshops, I just acquired an 80-acre parcel of land near Mount Shasta that I'm going to turn into a training and development center so that other facilitators and equine-assisted therapists or people that want to teach personal development and this level of relationship with horses or other animals can come out and, and be trained with me in what I've learned and discovered with this. But that's all pretty new and just, just now getting developed now you've got another you've got a great book i read last year writing on the power of others um which uh, honestly really brutally honestly goes through your story you've got another book coming out soon for for all the dog people out there can you tell us about that yeah the new book is called animal lover restoring connection to wild wisdom and i chose to focus on dogs this time because this work has nothing to do with horses. I mean, horses are my background and what I know best, but the work is relationship. It's unconditional love and action and it transcends species. It can be applied equally to any other being, whether even a tree, if you want to go to that level. But the idea is to make it a practical or way of practicing loving right relationship in your own home so that it eventually moves into our human dynamics. So I chose to work with my dogs and share that experience because quite honestly, I'm much more passionately drawn to dogs than horses. And and that's where some of my deepest shame lives. And I wanted to show people that this can be done with even dogs. Um, It's a lot harder than horses because dogs are with us all the time. There are companions. It's essentially like turning your dog into a child. And most people don't even have a conscious relationship with their children. So it's much harder work. But this book, Animal Lover, goes into what this work is, why it's important, and the practical application of how to do it. Uh, so the book explains the the real deep philosophy behind all this, but then also gives you very basic ways to do this work and what my 13 principles are and how to apply them. Wow, 13 principles. And I, one of your very best friends is a husky. Is that right? Or a husky cross? Yeah, yeah, Denali. <laughs> So is she credited in the book? Oh, totally. I mean, she's she's kind of the focus. Um, in I have four dogs, and one is a corgi that I've had for eleven years. He was born on my bed, so he's been like my my guy. And he is, you, you know, he's he was my emotional binky for for over a decade. And it's very obvious when I'm doing the work with him how codependent I made him, and and what we do to animals like this. Whereas Denali was roaming wild on the streets when I found her, she'd been basically a wild dog for two years and is completely and entirely uncontrollable. Like training did not work. Control did not work. Dominance did not work. So I, when I learned this work with the horses, it took a lot of courage to try to apply it to this husky who I know is capable of harming other animals who will escape and run wild and run free. And so last year I I would get up at 5 a.m. every morning in the summer and take her up into the mountains and, and practice this work where I could really test it to see if it was true. And, and the changes in her are incredible. Um, and if this works with a husky that has cost me so much money and time and energy <laughs> previous to this, then I, I have absolute faith that it works with anyone. Excellent. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much for your time, Ren, today. It's been amazing. And can you just tell us your website so people can find out more? Well, both web. I have a a professional website for my for my profit business and then we have a website for the foundation and both are heavily under construction and going to be rolling out new and fresh in the upcoming months but I'll go ahead and give them to you it's it's newworldsanctuary.org which is the foundation and the nonprofit and all of the money donated to that goes directly to animals in need for whatever reason whether you're supporting animals 
for someone like me who's trying to completely shift things to a non-exploitative approach. And then once we're able to do that, um, those horses are no longer in need of financial support, but remain part of our network, or you're supporting animals who are strictly in sanctuary from a rescue type perspective. Um, and then my personal website will be undomesticateyourlife.com. And that's where I will offer interspecies relationship coaching, consulting, speaking, and you can find my books there or whatever else, what other offerings I have at the moment. Thanks again, Ren. And is it your birthday today? It is actually. <gasps> Happy birthday. How privileged are we to speak to you? Oh, thank you so yeah. Much. <laughs> well, I hope you've had a wonderful day. Well, thank you. Yeah. I look forward to you coming coming to Australia one day. Yeah, I will. I have I have plans to spend a significant amount of time there. There's been a lot of invitations, so that's exciting. <gasps> that is very exciting. Okay, thanks again, Ren. Bye-bye. Australians love their digital equipment and that's all fine and good because it increases our quality of life but we need to think more carefully about what we're doing when we're finished with it. E-waste is growing at three times the rate of other municipal waste. 3CR Community Radio is dedicated to exploring the issues that affect our future. Because I think it is something we just need to be talking about. 855am Tune in and listen up. Intersectionality, as the kids these days call it, is the only path forward. We cannot play my crisis is more urgent than your crisis. War trumps climate, climate trumps class, class trumps gender, gender trumps race. That trumping game, my friends, is how you end up with a Trump. (laughs) Either we fight for a future in which everyone belongs, starting with those most battered by injustice today, or we keep losing, and there is no time for that. I'm Verity Bergman. I'm a professor of political science at Melbourne Uni, and I research and write about social movements and protest. You don't hear much about progressive politics on mainstream radio stations, so I love the way 3CR treats this politics with the respect it deserves. It helps to make people aware of the important struggles going on to make our society fairer, safer and sustainable. And 3CR contributes directly to this alternative politics, so please support 3CR as best you can. And today, Bernadette Brennan, thank you very much for enlightening us on your new work. Uh, My pleasure. Can I give you one last bit on this? Helen says that she's a great fan of 3CR because you were the first radio station that interviewed her when she published Monkey Grip in 1977. That is fantastic to have on record and 3CR still is the home of alternative radio in Australia. How wonderful. (laughs) Okay, thank you very much, Bernadette. Okay, thanks. Bye. This station has done a fantastic job of getting the real climate change message out to its listeners in an independent way. You are on Freedom of Species on 3CR at double five AM, and that was just a little montage of different statements um, for Radiothon. Basically, it finished up with a statement by Christine Milne of the Greens Party talking about how 3CR has done fantastic broadcasting when it comes to the issue of climate change. You also heard a part of a great speech by Naomi Klein at the beginning. Uh, Now, Freedom of Species has done a number of shows on the link between climate change and animal agriculture, and there are alarming statistics that no other station would be broadcasting. So please, well, no other mainstream radio program would be broadcasting. So please take a look at those. They're on the Freedom of Species website. And... It is Radiothon time, guys, and it is, wow, the year's gone so quick. But here at 3CR, we really, really need support. Um, we need the, the dollars to keep going. So if you could please, if you can just afford like five bucks or 50 cents, whatever it is, it will be well appreciated. It um, takes a lot of, I don't want to do a pity party, but it does take a lot of um, a lot of hours, a lot of time to to get the broadcasts out there 
and we really need a show of support. Freedom of species needs your money. So you can donate in many ways. You can uh, go online on the 3CR webpage and there's a donate button there or you can call the station on 94198377. That's a 03 area code. And please donate what you can and just state that it is the Freedom of Species show that you are in support of. Uh, thank you so much. I'd like to really thank Ren Hurst uh, for today's interview. Horses are indeed exploited in many ways from uh, horse racing, gosh, all all means of entertainment um, to pet food. And also uh, a lot of people wouldn't know that there is a big market for the hormone replacement therapy for menopausal or postmenopausal women. They use pregnant mare urine in a lot of the medication. So... There's actually a petition at the moment on Care2 petitions to ban the use of pregnant mare urine. And I'll just read from there. The health and well-being of women, the mares and foals should be the only things considered. The estrogen-rich urine brings in big dollars for FISA, Canada. This should not factor into granting and placing a ban on PMU, which is pregnant mare urine. The key ingredient in making Primarin, registered type drugs, is derived from estrogen-rich pregnant mare urine. And the actual ingredient advertising does not mention this. The hormones in the urine are used to manufacture hormone replacement therapy, HRT products, for treatment of symptoms in postmenopausal women. It is manufactured by Wyeth Pharmaceuticals, part of FISA, since January 2009 and has been marketed since 1942. If your doctor prescribes hormone replacement therapy, be sure to discuss your options and ask for one of the many humane alternatives to Primarin, such as hormone replacement tablets made from plant-derived estrogens called phytoestrogens. Many consumers are unaware of the cruel and inhumane treatment these horses often endure. They are routinely impregnated and confined to narrow tie stalls with a urine collection harness in place for the sole purpose of facilitating the collection of their urine. Urine collection begins in late fall, autumn, and runs through late winter. The mares are stabled during these months. They do receive water, but it is supplied only four, perhaps five times a day. The urine needs to be concentrated. The foals which result from these pregnancies are weaned at approximately four months of age. Each pregnancy is 11 months. It is an inhumane life for any animal. While in theory they have room to lie down, they cannot turn around or take more than a few steps forwards or backwards. The fate of the foal and the mares who cannot conceive is bleak. Most are typically sold off at auction to kill buyers and ultimately ultimately end up at the slaughterhouse. Some are shipped live to Japan for the highly popular sushi market. Mares unable to become pregnant are also routinely cast off by the industry and exposed to the risk of slaughter. So please uh, sign that petition as well. And if you are someone who's been um, asking for hormone replacement therapy, uh, ask your GP about that. If you'd like to contact us, please do so on info at freedomofspecies.org, Twitter or the Facebook page or via the website. Um, Thanks for tuning in. And next up, we have a great program about all things drugs, really, and pharma. It's um, that's pharmaceuticals. That's called In Psychedelia. Taking us out is Vegan Smythe's I Will Be Their Voice.
Have you ever felt choiceless Like there's no way home I've got some extra strength to give So I will be So I'll be their voice Do you know what's happening? Do you know what really occurs? If it's all too frightening Silence makes it worse You've got some extra strength to give And you can be I think you know what they'd want to say You can be their voice You can tell a friend, I'll tell a friend Where you shine a light into the darkness Darkness ends Since we know they're voiceless And they're being abused not speak out How could we be excused We've got some extra strength to give And we can be their voice We can be their voice I think we know what they'd want to say We can be their listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.